Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The measure of human suffering in Ukraine is memorialized in searing photographs. Women and children lying in the streets, their mangled bodies only partially hidden by blood-stained blankets. They are among the innocent victims of the cluster bombs, the mortar attacks, and the shelling ordered directly by Vladimir Putin in his ruthless and inhumane campaign to target civilians for destruction and death. Make no mistake, the murderous rampage unleashed by Vladimir Putin clearly constitutes war crimes, crimes of aggression, and crimes against humanity under international law. Now, the International Criminal Court, known as the ICC, it's located in The Hague in the Netherlands, recently announced it had opened a war crimes investigation of what's happening in Ukraine and what Vladimir Putin is doing. Now, that may sound very impressive, very hopeful, but the track record of that court is not. By the time the probe concludes, I'll be sucking down meals through a straw in a nursing home. That is how the ICC works, or more accurately, how it doesn't work. While the goal of the court is commendable, it's hobbled historically by inertia, dysfunction, weak management, endless jurisdictional disputes, and frankly, feeble prosecutions. There's an old legal maxim, justice delayed is justice denied. But the ICC has turned justice into a sad joke. A better idea is for the United Nations to step forward, circumvent the ICC, and establish a special tribunal, just as it did for the mass atrocities committed in the former Yugoslavia during the Balkan Wars in the 1990s. It was the first war crimes court created by the United Nations since the Nuremberg and Tokyo war crimes trials of long ago. And like those trials, criminals were brought to justice. Former Yugoslav President Slobodan Milosevic, Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadzic, and General Ratko Mladic, all were arrested and prosecuted. 161 people were indicted for their crimes. Many were convicted and sentenced expeditiously. So the question is, can it be done again this time with Vladimir Putin and his cruel cronies? Yes, and here's how. As a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council, Russia would, of course, follow Putin's orders to veto the creation of a special tribunal. But the General Assembly has the authority to override that veto under an obscure provision called Resolution 377. The language in that resolution affords sufficient latitude. 
a vote should be undertaken with dispatch and the criminal tribunal organized. Ensconced in the Kremlin, meanwhile, or isolated in one of his many mansions in luxury dachas, Putin would simply shrug and say, you can't get me. Well, that invites the question, how can he be captured and placed in the dock to account for his heinous crimes? And the answer can be found in the example of the aforementioned tyrant, the despised and deposed president of Yugoslavia, who became the first head of state to be charged with war crimes. Massive anti-war demonstrations against Milosevic's brutality drove him from office. Up to 200,000 members of his military deserted him. He was arrested by his own people and sent off to the special tribunal to stand trial. So the same fate could befall Vladimir Putin if the citizens of Russia grow tired of his authoritarian rule and his suppression of their human rights. With economic disaster looming, they may eventually rise up in anger against him. Desperate conditions merit desperate actions. It happened twice before in Russia in the last century. History could and should repeat itself. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. I have a warning for you. Inflation and tax hikes are Biden's only way out of our $28 trillion federal debt. So if you have $50,000 or more in your IRA, 401k, or savings, your money is at risk. Learn how you can protect it with physical gold and silver. Call 855 855- 665-0767 to get your free gold IRA kit. That's right. Call 855-665-0767 and my friends at Gold Co. will give you up to $15,000 or more in free silver with a qualified account. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and tax hikes. So what are you waiting for? Call 855-665-0767 now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Vladimir Putin is an evil dictator who is committing monstrous acts in Ukraine. No sentient person would argue otherwise. And the evidence of his criminality is well documented by photographs, videotapes, and the personal accounts of survivors who watched in horror as the carnage unfold before their very eyes. The loss of so many loved ones is proof of unprovoked mass murder. Millions have fled as entire communities have been laid to waste by indiscriminate bombardment, their lives and livelihoods shattered. In a way, they're the lucky ones. They escape the personal bloodshed and are now left homeless amid the rubble. Others were not so fortunate. The slaughter of innocents in Ukraine was not the result of a Russian general who went rogue. No, it was ordered directly by Putin in his maniacal quest for more power in an expanded Russian empire. 
He yearns for the days of geopolitical dominance by the Soviet machine. He's determined to replicate it at any cost to human life. No amount of depravity will be spared. By invading a sovereign nation without provocation, deliberately murdering non-combatants, including women and children, Vladimir Putin has committed what are regarded as crimes against humanity. This is defined under international law as, quote, a widespread or systemic attack directed against any civilian population. The barbarity of Putin's military assaults also qualify as specific war crimes. They include willful killing, inhumane treatment, destruction of property, and intentionally causing great suffering. And finally, a separate set of offenses are identified under the self-evident title of crimes of aggression. They encompass an attack or invasion by armed forces, bombardment, military occupation of territory, and annexation. Putin is guilty of all of that, to be sure. And no, I will not grant him a presumption of innocence, but the special tribunal will. Time is of the essence. The United Nations should move quickly to bring about a special tribunal dedicated solely to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Bringing Vladimir Putin and his comrades to justice must be a top priority. In a detailed Wall Street Journal interview over the weekend, prominent Russian historian and distinguished professor Robert Service stated that the only way to end Ukraine's torment is to remove Putin from power, and he offered two scenarios. The first is a palace coup in which the ruling elite that surrounds Putin in the Kremlin turn against him with some assistance from the army. This is less likely, says Professor Service, although it could become more plausible if world condemnation escalates in intensity and economic hardships in Russia worsen. The second and more likely possibility would be a mass uprising of Russians who take to the streets by the tens of thousands, if not millions, to demand an end to Putin's reign of terror and aggression. This famously happened at the outset of the Russian Revolution, 1917, and led to the lamentable creation of the Soviet Union. But it occurred again in 1991 in reverse. An attempted coup against President Mikhail Gorbachev triggered mass demonstrations that forced his resignation and spelled the auspicious end of the USSR. According to Professor Service, both scenarios could converge to topple Putin, quote, if there's a combination of political disorder on the streets and political unease in the ruling group. But that will take time. And Ukraine has precious little of that to spare. For now, Russia's economy is badly damaged, but it's still functioning. Its financial sector and banking systems are diminished, while the nation's stock market remains closed. The ruble has lost one-third of its value, citizens are struggling to access cash, and inflation is heading toward 15% or beyond. Now that certainly sounds ominous. Indeed, a headline in The Economist declares 
Vladimir Putin's fortress Russia is crumbling. Well, wait a minute. I think his imminent demise is premature. Putin well knew that sanctions would happen if he invaded Ukraine, which is exactly why he spent years stockpiling enormous currency reserves and devising ways to evade the impact of sanctions by replacing Western imports. Putin is not unhinged or mad, as some claim. He's shrewd and calculating. Like the communist dictators of old, Lenin and Stalin, Vladimir Putin is a master of propaganda. He strictly controls public opinion at home by manipulating the media and peddling false stories. Since the start of the war, Putin has shuttered all independent press in Russia and banned most avenues of social media. He has effectively created an information deficit. Only his narrative is heard. That his actions are necessary to save Russians from Western threats. And that NATO, controlled by the United States, is determined to surround and destroy Mother Russia. He claims to be a liberator, which is a tortured argument to make when you're destroying the liberated. It's all rubbish, of course, but it appears to be working. Polling data shows that Putin's approval rating has gone up since the invasion began, with close to 70% of Russians supporting the war. And yes, the reliability of that data may be dubious, but a moment of inflection has yet to materialize in a way that seriously threatens Putin's stranglehold on power. It's true that thousands of Russians have protested, but thousands have been arrested. And Putin has intensified his crackdown by signing into law a summary judgment that imposes a 15-year sentence on anyone who dares to dissent. So where does this leave us? If Russians continue to suffer the dire effects of their own economic situation, and if living conditions deteriorate to unbearable levels in their country, fury toward Vladimir Putin could grow exponentially. And so too may the public's unwillingness to tolerate a tyrant who has rained death on Russia's neighbor and wreaked havoc on his own nation so as to satisfy his lust for power. Joining me now is Rebecca Koffler, a former Defense Intelligence Agency officer, author of the book Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. She's currently a strategic intelligence analyst with the Lindsay Group, and thank you, Rebecca, for being here. I, by the way, I read your recent column, uh, and you argue that Joe Biden's sanctions on Russia are, quote, impotent and will not stop Putin's blitzkrieg in Ukraine. And I think you're absolutely correct, but explain why. Of course. Hi, Greg. Uh, pleasure to be here with you and your audience. Um, security concerns and economics concerns are, as the Russians would say, two big differences, okay? So uh, jokes aside, uh, economic concerns are not going to... Uh, or have already been factored in in Putin's decision calculus before he invaded Ukraine, right? 
and his security concerns trump economics concerns. So what did Putin do to sanction-proof his economy? Number one, he has been pursuing what's called the de-dollarization strategy, whereby within the Russian sovereign fund, the dollar is being zeroed out in favor of the Chinese yuan, the gold, and the euro. Number two, Putin has been pursuing an import substitution strategy, whereby indigenous production of certain uh, goods and services has been not only encouraged, but demanded by the Kremlin. Three, he also has been diverting exports to China instead of the West. And there are other multiple uh, things that have been done by Putin in order to uh, sanction-proof the economy. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, sanctions are not going to hurt. They will hurt some, but it's going to take time for them to actually have an impact. And the security concerns of NATO potentially joining, I'm, I'm sorry, Ukraine potentially joining NATO just trump uh, economic concerns. Why? Number one, it's going to be only number one, by the way, um, the distance between NATO forces and St. Petersburg during the Cold War was 1,000 miles. With the Baltics having joined NATO, that distance has been reduced to 100 miles. It is a purely military calculus. Putin and the Russians have always been paranoid about a war coming from the West, and the Russian intelligence services have concluded that such war is inevitable. You know, uh, and I think you're right about that. Putin is absolutely 100% a villain in all of this, but Joe Biden, it strikes me, is not blameless. Uh, as far back as 2007, and I know you know this, you know, Putin made it pretty clear that losing Ukraine to NATO would be a red line, an existential threat to Russia. Uh, and he all but vowed to uh, invade if it happened. It's one of the main reasons why Ukraine was not allowed to join NATO all these years. A few months ago, though, Biden effectively gave Ukraine the green light to pursue membership in NATO. He signed a formal document with Ukraine called the Charter on Strategic Partnership. Putin warned him not to do it. He would regard it as a provocative act. He, he basically said, I'll go to war. Biden did it anyway. And almost immediately after the signatures were put on paper, Putin began amassing his military along the border of Ukraine. Would you agree that that was a colossal blunder by Joe Biden. 100% agree, Greg. Joe Biden has been sleeping at the wheel. And his, what I call, Obama 2.0 crew, Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken, and the rest of them, it's not like it's their first time around, right? They've dealt with Putin before when Joe Biden was the vice president. As you pointed out, Putin has never, ever made it a secret as far as what he was going to do. He always wanted to reverse the outcome of the uh, Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he stated not only in 2007, but subsequently in every strategic planning document, uh, such as the Russian military doctrine back in 2010, designated the United States and NATO as security threat number one. What does it mean? It means that the Russian military had a requirement, a top requirement, to develop a strategy to 
wage that kind of war to remove the perceived threat, okay? So while we were mired in Afghanistan, while we were chasing people with towels on their heads without superior military, right, and weaponry, the Russians have been modernizing their military and developing a very sophisticated strategy that they called asymmetric, that includes in addition to military component, a lot of other things non-kinetic of non-kinetic nature, such as cyber warfare, space warfare, right. and, and, and all sorts of other things. So President Biden, in my view, is to blame for this colossal strategic level blunder of having completely neglected his um, his duty as the commander-in-chief to protect the United States and our allies from the looming threat. And mark my word, we are under threat right now from Russian cyber attacks, space attacks, and things of that ne- nature, all the way going to nuclear is what Putin is thinking. You know, it, it, it seems like such a mind-boggling, incomprehensible decision by Biden to to do this to deliberately provoke uh, Vladimir Putin and, as I say, all but invite him to go ahead and invade. And it makes me wonder what made Biden do it. Was he so humiliated by his bungling of the Afghanistan withdrawal that he was sort of searching desperately for some foreign policy victory? Or maybe, you know, in a fit of arrogance or incompetence, Biden completely misread Putin's clearly stated intentions, or worse, and I kind of hate to bring it up, but it, you know, it makes me wonder: Did it have something to do with the millions of dollars that poured into Hunter Biden's bank accounts from the Ukrainian company Burisma? Uh, and you know, Hunter was leveraging Dad's position of power. I don't know if that's at all related, but of those three choices, uh, what do you think, Greg? It's all of the above. Everything that you have just listed, including the situation with the Hunter Biden's entanglements, I know for sure that this is what the Russian intelligence services think, is that President Biden cannot make uh, unbiased decision with regard to this conflict because of his entanglements. Okay? So... Um, he's compromised, basically. And he's co- compromised the entire nation of the United States by virtue of his son's corrupt actions. This is what the Russians believe. Remember, whether it is true or is not true, the Russians base their actions on their assessment of the situation. I am a former DIA intelligence officer. The Russian military doctrine and strategy Putin's uh, psychology, Russian intelligence services assessment is my target. So I am telling you that the Russian intelligence services believe that they have kompromat, what they call kompromat, on on, uh, Joe Biden related to Hunter Biden's uh, corruption scandals, okay? Mm -hmm. So, and all of the other uh, explanations are absolutely correct as well. Uh, right. President Biden just simply has failed to understand his opponent, President Putin. Well, what he's also failed to understand are America's energy needs. It, it, it is so bewildering as to why Joe Biden uh, decided to empower and embolden 
Putin by dropping Trump sanctions against Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline while canceling almost simultaneously our own Keystone XL pipeline. I mean, Biden made Putin more energy powerful while making America energy dependent and thus weaker. It kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Who's Saudi on, Joe? Exactly. This is not just incompetence. This is not just negligence. This borders on like really uh, being treasonous. Who who are you loyal to? If President Biden has been financing Putin's war machine, this is a legitimate uh, question to ask. And you know what I just said earlier, this has been all baked in already. The economic impact on the West, including the United States, has been baked in in Putin's decision calculus. Uh, the Russians right now uh, are thinking this way, or, or they're saying uh, basically through their propaganda machine. The United States, with the sanctions, aimed at Russia, but they ended up shooting themselves. As you mm-hmm. pointed out, I am a consultant for the Lindsay Group. I do strategic intelligence. And we are actually forecasting a potential recession exactly because of the dependencies that you just mentioned. Look, the oil is at the record high. Our gas prices are at the record high. And so the impact on us is going to be just as high, if not even higher, than on the Russians. And unlike, you know, us, we actually, our government is accountable. uh, And we Mm -hmm. are not used to, you know, tolerating these sort of supply chain issues and all kinds of shortages. For the Russians, believe me, during the socialism, this was a way of life, shortages. There's nothing that the United States can inflict on Russia with the sanctions that the Russian people have not endured living under socialism. Yeah, they're they're sort of accustomed to that. Uh, But here in America, you know, prices of the pumps, as you point out, are skyrocketing. Your analysis is it's going to get a lot worse. Um, and it's it, it's not just what you're paying at a gas station to fill up your car, but I mean, we're talking about other goods, a- almost all goods across America, because you got to transport those goods. The transportation costs are inflated by higher fuel prices. So uh, it strikes me from your comments that you agree we would not be experiencing the staggering inflation now if we had maintained our energy independence, which Biden reversed. And now, of course, you know, Biden's furiously begging another tyrannical dictator in Venezuela to unfreeze our relations so we can buy their oil. It's insanity. I mean, it's complete lunacy, uh, Greg. You know, Biden is reaching out to U.S. adversaries pleading them for help with Russia. I mean, he shared intelligence with the Chinese, hoping that the Chinese somehow are going to talk Putin out of executing the plan that Putin has been hatching for 20 years to invade Ukraine and other post-Soviet states, right? Now you're telling me that he's reaching out to another adversary. I mean, this borders on, I don't know if he's incompetent or he's cognitively impaired, which, by the way, the Russian intelligence also believes that uh, cognitively President Biden is compromised. And again, that's what's driving Putin's, you know, cockiness, his confidence. It's not just the fact that he has developed a plan. 
Putin's playbook. This is the title of my book that basically unpacks the entire thing. But he also believes that right now Putin has the window of opportunity to execute his master plan because he assessed that the Biden administration is weak and Biden is possibly going to compromise. Putin is concerned that maybe a stronger leader, somebody like Trump, whom the Russians feared, would come in following this four years of uh, disaster. And at that point, Putin was not going to be or wouldn't be able to execute his plan. So this is why you see this aggression taking place today. You know, the courage of the Ukrainian people has truly been extraordinary and an inspiration uh, for so many people around the world. I mean, the Ukrainians have mounted a very strong resistance to Putin's forces um, as Russians continue to annihilate cities with missiles and bombs and mortar attack and shelling. And as strong as that resistance has been, and as brave as the Ukrainians have been in the long run, it strikes me that they're no match for Russia's overwhelming military might. So where do you see this war going? How does it unfold in the coming weeks and months? Ukrainians are remarkable, uh, Greg. President Zelensky has exhibited the type of leadership that uh, the Davos crowd the Washington and Brussels quote-unquote experts can learn a thing or two from, right? My heart goes out to the Ukrainians and their will to fight. And uh, But the fact of the matter, Greg, remains. Russian military is second best in the world, rivaling mm-hmm. the United States military, which is the best warfighting force in military history, okay? Now, Pentagon has designated Russia and China, by the way, as near-peer competitors, okay? So, Russian military simply trumps hands-down Ukrainian military, which has improved. Yes, we have given them support. We've given them outstanding weaponry, such as uh, javelins and stinger missiles. But, again, as I said, the Russians have been preparing for this. So they've been right. developing countermeasures to javelins. Javelins are not going to be a game changer the way that Pentagon is trying to portray that it is. And so sooner or later, whether it's going to take, you know, three weeks or three months or more, Putin, my assessment is that Putin is going to level Ukraine. He's now beyond the point of return, as you said, slaughtering uh, civilians, but this is in the Russian DNA. They fight a war in a very different way. This is a punitive operation, and he wants to place pressure, psychological pressure on Zelensky to surrender since he hasn't been able to really execute the decapitation strategy. He wants him to surrender so that the Ukrainian people don't suffer. And so Ukrainians spill blood right now, and that blood is, by the way, on Joe Biden's and the Obama 2.0 crew. Make no mistake about it. You know, I want to get your take on the remarks of Russian history professor Robert Service uh, in a fairly lengthy Wall Street uh, Journal interview. I know you read it. He stated that the only way to end Ukraine's torment 
is to remove Vladimir Putin from power. And he said there's only two ways to do that. Number one, the equivalent of a palace coup by ruling elites who, you know, decide let's get rid of Putin uh, by hook or by crook. Um, or second, by a massive popular uprising of Russians like uh, that which brought the end of the Soviet Union back in 1991. Uh, I'm pretty skeptical that any of that's going to happen, but what do you think? With all due respect, and I do respect the author of this article, Robert Service, I strongly disagree, Greg. Haven't we tried uh, these things before already, all these regime changes and uh, Typically, what happens, with very few exceptions, what happens is even a crazier person, and I use that word metaphorically because Putin is not crazy. There's no mental anomaly in um, uh, No, he's shrewd and he's calculating. Absolutely. Brilliant strategist, um, very astute tactician. So uh, this this is not going to work. First, because uh, there's no one right now in his circle who would be risking basically his life and that the life of his family to stage and execute something like this. Okay. Second, this is exactly the narrative. This is exactly what Putin has been afraid of is regime change. And he has already been um, unleashing Russian propaganda. He's always been saying uh, that the United States has conducted regime changes all over the world, creating chaos. And now they want to go and do the same thing in Russia. And the Russian people will mobilize against, you know, the United States. And this will give him a pretext to go all the way to nuclear Putin. So this regime change talk is actually dangerous and it gives Putin the excuse to escalate his warfare and actually justify an attack, maybe not kinetic at first, but an attack of cyber warfare type or space warfare on the United States. I don't support this sort of thing. The Russians must figure it out themselves, whom they want. There's a reason why, you know, Putin was elected four times, Greg, okay? And the runner-up in each election has been a communist. This is something that either Americans don't understand or don't pay attention to, uh, but a communist who would be even worse than Putin. And isn't that something like that happened in some other places of the world when we actually did conduct regime changes? unintended consequences. Exactly. Um, Rebecca, my last question is as follows. So Putin has targeted and murdered Innocent civilians. There's no question about that. And that clearly constitutes war crimes, crimes against humanity, crimes of aggression. Uh, And I have absolutely no confidence that the International Criminal Court is competent enough or even willing enough to investigate and bring charges against Vladimir Putin. I mean, their record is one of failure and not success. So I've made the arguments uh, that the United Nations is actually empowered to establish a special tribunal, just as it did during the Balkan Wars. That tribunal successfully put war criminals, including the former president of Yugoslavia, on trial to account for their heinous deeds. So, you know, even though Putin may be uh, uncatchable, Um, I still think that 
procedures ought to be put in place principally by the United Nations to go after him for crimes against humanity, aggression, and war crimes. What do you think? Excellent idea, uh, Greg, I think. Look, this is not just about Putin and what's happening uh, right now with Ukraine. This is about a much broader strategic situation that goes beyond Ukraine. We have, in addition to Putin, all kinds of dictators such as Xi Jinping who wants to execute something similar. It's about what the world will look like in 10 and 20 years. Will it look more like the United States and democratic uh, capitalist society or will it look more like Russia or China? And so this type of action that you are proposing is not only to punish Putin, which absolutely must be done because slaughtering civilians is just the next level of crime, but it's also a deterrent potentially uh, for any dictator who is contemplating right now to do something similar. And believe me, they are contemplating. I'm certain you know this as well, Greg, because I've talked. I've heard yeah. you talk about that. Rebecca Koffler, uh, uh, former Defense Intelligence Agency author, uh, officer and author of the book Putin's Playbook, Russia's Secret Plan to Defeat America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Greg, for having me. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.